You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, Hope Resurrected, a journey through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Peace be with you. What a joy it is to see y'all this morning. And uh, if you are first-time guests, I want to say welcome. My name is Jamal. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are delighted that you would uh, come and spend some time with us this morning. We pray that a song will be sung or uh, a word spoken that will enrich your life in Christ Jesus. And happy Mother's Day uh, to all of our uh, mothers and uh Earlier, we acknowledged just uh, the beauty of the day, but also the complexity. And even as we start, I do want to just uh, just say to you, uh, mothers, that we are thankful for you and uh, we see how the Lord has shaped and and formed you. And we also want to say to those who are our spiritual mothers, we see you as well. As I think about this day and I think about mothers, I obviously think about my mother and I think about the way that she has formed me and poured into me to help me to become um, who I am today in Christ. And as I think about her, I think about uh, three words. I think about the fact that she um, has just this godly affections toward me. She was an affectionate mother. She was a mother who cared deeply about me. I also think about the fact that not only was she affectionate, but her affection uh, led her to move towards me with action, with action. I can remember uh, many times in my life where she saw that I was not in a good place or when I was injured for sports, she would be the first person there making phone calls to doctors, checking to make sure I was healthy and whole. And if I wasn't, there was a sense in which she wasn't healthy and she wasn't whole. And that's good qualities for a mother. But I also think that she uh, modeled motherhood uh, by making the appropriate appeals. I think about going to college and how she was a hard worker and right out of high school, she went into the workforce so she didn't uh, have to kind of matriculate through that process, but how she made sure, even though that wasn't a way that she went, um, that I had the resources that I need to go to college, whether that is um, enrolling me in classes to make sure that I took the SAT or if that was making sure that I was getting my paperwork done so that I could be at a college because I was not going to naturally do that on my own, right? Uh, So I think about my mother. I think about someone who had affections that were appropriate. I think about uh, a a mother who was action-oriented, and I also think about a mother who made the appropriate appeals on my behalf. And I think about those same qualities with my wife as I see her mother, our children. But there's another word I want to add in front of each of those words, and that's the word gospel. Because both my mother and my wife are those who have been redeemed by Jesus. And not only do they show gospel affections, not only do they have gospel actions, but they make gospel appeals And what do I mean by gospel? I mean, we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what shapes our lives and ultimately what transforms our lives. So having affections towards someone that's not gospel-centered may not be the healthiest thing for someone else and for us. Think about the Apostle Paul and what we talked about last week and how he helped us to see that it's not just what we do or what we believe, but our motives matter. So gospel affections are affections that are flowing from a heart that knows that it is that the person is loved. 
and who is from that love affectionately loving others. Gospel action is moving towards people with that love, but not out of a need to please people, but out of a desire to please God. And gospel appeals aren't just us appealing on behalf of someone else for college or for whatever fill in the blank, but it is praying and going to the one who created the cosmos and who holds all things together. In today's text, we're going to see a very fascinating and important passage. The Apostle Paul is going to give us, I think, an incredible vision for what it looks like, not just for mothers, but for everyone who is a part of the kingdom of God in Jesus's church to care well for others. And what we're going to see in this text is three movements. The first movement is going to be gospel affections. He has some deep affections for the church at Thessalonica. We also are going to see uh, that this affection that he has for them is going to lead him to take gospel action. He's not just going to sit back and say, I love you all, but he's going to show his love to them, which in the last part of the chapter, in chapter three, as we go through verse 13 today, we're going to see a gospel appeal. He's going to close this section by praying for the church of Thessalonica. And here's the big takeaway that I want for us as a church today. My desire is that we as a church will care well for our spiritual siblings by showing gospel affection, which leads to gospel action and gospel prayer. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, use this sermon to help us to uh, reach our goals as a church in Christ Jesus, uh, which is to uh, reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and to send them in the world. And part of one of our three core identities as a church is, is that of a being a family. And I pray, Lord, that you would use this sermon to be a, a brick in our spiritual houses that we might grow in being a spiritual family on mission together in the city of Louisville. I also pray, Lord, that you would help us to reach um, our value of being a church that is filled with transformative relationships, that we'll get past the veneer of uh, just kind of going through life and doing life with each other to, to doing life in a gospel-saturated way. Holy Spirit, I am weak and feeble and, 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 feeble and, and unable to uh, do anything apart from you empowering me to make much of Jesus. So would you help me to do that? And would you help uh, our good shepherd's sheep to hear his voice and allow this word to be planted on fertile soil? To be received, not as human words, as Paul says in chapter two, but as the very word of God. Speak, Lord. Wake us up, Lord. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So let's dive in. Uh, first, starting with this idea of gospel affections. Gospel affections. What, what does it mean to, to love people well in a, a gospel saturated Way We see this in uh, verse 17 through verse uh, 20. The Apostle Paul is going to write just this beautiful uh, paragraph 
and he's going to do it to, to show uh, the church um, his heart uh, for the church. In verse 17, he says, but as for us, brothers and sisters, after we were forced to leave you for a short time in person, not in heart, we greatly desire and made every effort to return to you to see you face to face. So for those of you who are just joining us, we, we've been talking about how the Apostle Paul came to uh, the city of Thessalonica and uh, in Acts chapter 17, and he came preaching the gospel and he lived among them. He was a tent maker and he fell in love with these people who received God's word um, in, in, a, in a way that allowed them to model their lives um, after Jesus and to follow Paul's um, as he followed Christ. And so Paul then has to leave Thessalonica because of persecution. And the church was being persecuted deeply as well. And they're still being persecuted. This is sometime later, maybe uh, several years later that he's writing them and they're under steep persecution because of their faith. But Paul uses an interesting word here. He says, we were forced to leave you. We were forced to leave you. And in uh, the original language, this, uh, w- the word that is used here is the word where we get the word orphan from. He essentially is saying we um, are orphaned from you. We were separated from you. We were torn apart from you. And he's writing them to let them know that his heart hurts because he loves them so deeply, so greatly. And we saw this last week, right? As Paul was talking about his affections towards the church at Thess, and he used three examples. He used the example of uh, being and living amongst them like an infant, one with innocence and gentleness. He also used the example of a mother, um, one, a, a nursing mother. He lived amongst them like a nursing mother. Um, he took his time with them. He was careful with them. He knew that they were on the milk of the word, so he was gentle. But he also lived amongst them, like he says, like a father, an encouraging father. And so Paul here is picking up these words uh, where this kind of idea and showing his affections for them. Now, what's amazing about this is that people call this letter a friendship letter, because maybe more than any other letter in a New Testament, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica and using language of endearment in such a heavy and thick way. And his heart is broken that he can't spend more time with them. And at the end of the day, he can't spend more time with them because they uh, were separated because of the action of men um, who, and women who were persecuting them because they were preaching Christ. And if you go back into chapter two, we see it was uh, their uh, Jewish uh, uh, brothers and sisters, these, their kinfolk who are saying, hey, this is not what we receive from um, our uh, lineage. And uh, not all, but some uh, were persecuting them because they were separating themselves and following uh, the way. And so the Apostle Paul is addressing this, but he also wants them to know that there's a spiritual element to his separation from them. Look at verse 18. So we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time again, but Satan hindered us. So he's saying there's spiritual warfare happening. There's times that I wanted to come back to check on you, to strengthen your faith, but I couldn't because Satan hindered us. Uh, Satan, the accuser of uh, the brethren who shows up in Genesis chapter three and he hinders a true community and fellowship that was happening between Adam and Eve by causing them to rebel against God, which causes them to have friction in their relationship with each other. And then we see in verse 19, for who is our hope 
This is powerful. Our joy or crown of boasting in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. So Paul writes some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture uh, from apostle to the church as he just boasts on them. and says, one day when I stand before Jesus, and we know this is hyperbole, we know he's justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. But he's saying, if I could boast in front of Jesus, you would be my boast because of the way that you received the word and lived it out. Absolutely beautiful. This is great language. John Stott has a, a quote. Uh, talking about this type of language. He says, what is this extravagant language? I have sometimes asked myself, what is this loving and longing, this intolerable suspense when there was no news and this overwhelming joy when the news was good, this affectionate care and fervent prayer, this sense of intimate solidarity with them so that his life so that in his life, we are wrapped up in their lives and theirs and his. My answer is that it is the language of parents who are separated from their children, who miss them dreadfully and are profoundly anxious when they have had no recent news of them. Pastor love is parental love, and that is its quality. So John Stott, in focusing on this entire chapter, just talks about how Paul is writing them as a pastor in a very parental way, saying, look, I long for you. I boast about you. You are my joy. You are my crown. You are my glory. And Paul has this affection for them, not in his own strength or his own might, because this is the same person who, when we read in in Acts, who were persecuting them, he devoted his life to... uh, to making sure the way did not grow and did not mature. And so how does a man turn from um, persecuting and hating a a people who are following Jesus to having this deep, deep, deep affection towards them? It happens because he encountered Jesus Christ, who has this gospel affection towards him, this affection that allowed him to forgive, this affection that allowed him to to save someone who was against his very bride. Jesus' affection is affectious. It impacts those who are committed to following him and who abide in him. And it's not something that we can do in and of our own strength. As I said, it's, it's, the batteries are included. Romans 5, 5, when we give our life to Jesus as the Holy Spirit uh, regenerates us and makes us new, the Spirit pours out his love in us. And as we grow and abide in Jesus, we are impacted by that love and we begin to love like Jesus. Jesus was such an affectionate person. Just think about how he loved a widow in a small town called Nain. And how one day he, the Bible says he was busy and there was a crowd of people around him and he comes into the small town and there's a funeral taking place. And this widow who had previously lost her husband has now lost her child. And the Bible says, though the, the crowd was pronged up against him, he saw this woman from a distance and he goes up to her. He ignores everyone who is pressing him and he ministers to this woman. 
He stops the funeral, raises her son from the dead and presents her son back to him. This is our Jesus. He is full of affection. He is full of compassion. And we see this over and over and over again. Think about on his way to this little girl who was dying at her father's request. And on his way, a woman reaches up and touches the hem of his garment. And and even though he's supposed to be in a hurry to get to this, this young girl, he stops and he sees this woman and she becomes the most important person to him in that moment, despite everyone else around him saying, we've got somewhere to be. He ministers to her. And then he goes and he ministers to that girl. He kicked out all of the naysayers out of the room. And he said, Talitha Kuma, little girl arise. And she arose from her sleep. Jesus was affectionate. He wasn't just affectionate towards women. He was affectionate towards lepers, those who were outcast in society, towards tax collectors, towards rough fishermen. He was affectionate towards his own mother in the midst of his suffering while he hung in the heat of the day, dying for you and I to have an opportunity towards eternal life. He stops and he looks at John and he says, John, behold your mother, woman, behold your son. And even today, Jesus is affectionate towards you. Even as you sit here, possibly with apathy or disbelief or tiredness for getting it in and celebrating that 80 to 1 odds winner yesterday. Wherever you are this morning, however you feel, however tired you feel, however broken you feel, however not enough you feel, however anxious you feel, Jesus moves towards you as the affectionate one. He weeps with those who weep. He grieves as a man of sorrow. He knows your humanness and your brokenness and your sin. And yet he says, I love you. You are my boast. Look at my wrists. You are my joy. Look at my feet. You're my love. Remember my crown. I'm crazy about you. And I want you to come, if you don't know me, to know me so that you can have eternal life and true joy and true peace. And he is shaping a a people in a community of people who love each other well. Jesus says, "And, and you shall know my disciples by the way that they quote Bible verses to each other. You should know my disciples by the way that they uh, argue on Twitter about things that ultimately 100 years from now won't matter. No, you should know my disciples by the love that they have for one another. Jesus wants to build a community of people who, listen, who love each other. with The same love that they have been loved and from that love as conduits of his love. Not for salvation, but from salvation. So we see the affection, but we also need to see, want to see here that this affection is moved to gospel action. Verse 3 through verse 10, we see this, but in verses 1 through 5, we read this. Therefore, when we could no longer stand it, look at this, his heart. He's like, when I can no longer stand it. I was apart from you. I couldn't figure out how to get back to you. I was orphaned from you, separated from you. We thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy. Now, this is huge. 
This is Paul's love for the church of Thessalonica. He's trying to figure out how can I get back to my people? This is too long. This is too hard. Like a mother separated from her kid who's away in college and she knows that the kid is having a hard time trying to figure out how can I express my love? I I can't take off right now because I don't have enough off days. So what am I going to do? I'm going to send a package to this kid to let them know that they are loved in the midst of their anguish. And the package that Paul sends is another person, is Timothy. Paul uh, probably could not go back for many reasons, but the most probably important reason is that he was a wanted man there. So what does he do? He finds someone who can move freely. He sends Timothy to show his love towards them. He makes an action. He does what he can. And there's another father who made an action. The Bible says that while we were yet still sinners, he sent his son who died for us. We were away from him as orphans because of our sin. And he had a plan to redeem us through his son. And his name is Jesus. So Timothy sends Timothy, his brother, his co-laborer in the gospel. And why is Timothy coming? To strengthen and to encourage you, he says, concerning your faith. So that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. They were being persecuted. Or you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction. And as you know, it happened for this reason when I could no longer stand it. Couldn't couldn't stand not knowing how y'all were doing, doing. I sent him to find out about your faith. Fearing that the tempter had tempted you. And that our labor might be for nothing. Gospel community is a computer community where there is one anothering happening. People are spending time together, getting to know each other. Like Paul spent time with the church at Thessalonica. He worked amongst them. He labored amongst them. He knew them. They made memories together. It's a gospel community goes beneath the veneer and the surface to get to what matters most. And what matters most about people? Whether they're saved or whether they're not saved, what matters most is what they're putting their faith in. Gospel living cares about where people's faith is. And in this church, may we remember that while we're building community with each other, enjoying lattes at Sunergas or Heine Brothers, Lord forbid, no, I'm just joking, uh, or wherever you like to get coffee from. That's the end of the matter. I'm totally joking. I was at Heine Brothers the other day. I love it. It's great. Uh, I just needed a laugh. Y'all was looking at me with that uh, Saturday was long look. So, so I pulled in my back pocket and I reached out and I said, Lord, help them. And the Lord answered my prayers. Amen for smiles. Amen for smiles. Come on, somebody. So what Paul does here is... He shows us what matters most, and that is the cultivation of faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So here's my plea to you. As you have affections for people, cultivate them into gospel affections. Gospel affections should lead to gospel actions. And gospel actions means that even if you can't reach them, you think creatively on how to encourage their faith. Maybe that's sitting, time, sitting down to take 10 minutes to write a thoughtful note and five minutes to go to put it in a mailbox. 
Maybe those gospel affections and that gospel care for someone is, is, is scheduling a, a Google call with them two weeks from now for 20 minutes so that you could see them and let them know how much you love them. Maybe it's sending flowers. Maybe it's asking deeper questions. And I hope that as a church, we will get to the point of caring for each other, that we can move past the simple talking about sports, talking about uh, work in a way that doesn't get to hard things, to actually pursuing people and saying, where is your faith? What are you placing your faith in? Is it in your 401k? Is it in your image? Is it in likes? Is it in a future vacation? Or is it in Jesus and the fact that he is soon to return? Do you take time to actually listen and to see what is afflicting people? Because listen, this text twice tells us that there is a real enemy. His name is Satan, and it's all, he's often list, listed as a tempter. And we live in a world where there is no shortage of temptations. And we live in a world in which we have a real enemy who comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy, who goes around like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour, trying to see who is drifting away from community, who is drifting away from the promises of God, who is not walking with the helmet of salvation, Salvation and the breastplate of righteousness with their shield of faith and their sword sharpened. Who was not walking in the gospel of peace? And he is seeking to draw them out and to take you out, to entice you, to kill you. And as believers and as Christians, Satan wants us to live under this cloud of, of just living day by day without living in the way of Jesus, which is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, knowing that all things will be added. And ultimately, our righteousness is in Christ. We seek to live out of his righteousness as we love others. He loved them so much that he took action to make sure that their faith was growing. Is that your concern for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Post-pandemic, there's a lot of people who have done the spiritual moonwalk. There's a lot of people who did life here at Sojourn, who have just disappeared. And, and you know some of them by name, and you see them regularly around. And I know it's intimidating, and it's hard, and it's awkward. But gospel affections look like you're taking a deep breath, and you're asking them, how is your walk with Jesus going? Where are you worshiping Jesus with other Christians? Can we talk more about this? I love you. I don't want to see you struggling unnecessarily. Can I have you over for a meal? Notice this, verse 6 through 12. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. And we know that Paul opens the letter up and he's talking in uh, verses 1 through 9 about those three Christian virtues, which are faith, hope, and love. Come on, somebody. Faith, hope, and love. And he keeps coming back to these virtues throughout, Right? And so he brings it up again. He brought good news about your faith and about your love. 
He reported that you always, I love this, always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. So listen to this, as we talk about gospel affections leading to gospel actions and gospel community, it should be something that we experience with, uh, with each other both ways. It should be reciprocal. Paul gets excited about the fact that the church of Thess thought of him in the same way that he thought of them. He's like, yo, I sent Timothy. Timothy came back, said, your faith is strong, your love is strong, and that y'all got good memories. And I'm just using my sanctified imagination. This is the JSV, Jamal Standard Version. This is not in the Bible. But I just imagine Timothy's around a campfire. They're telling stories about when Paul and Silas and others was with them. And, and they're like, oh, man, did Paul tell you about that? what happened at the synagogue? And uh, Timothy's like, no, you're talking about when he preached and there, all these people came to Christ? Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. That was amazing. I came to Christ through his preaching at the synagogue. I'm talking about the time where he was talking, walking up the steps, and he slipped and fell in front of everybody and tried to play it off. And Timothy's like, no, he left that out. Oh, man, ask him about the synagogue, right? And so Timothy goes back. He's like, Paul, man, they share all these great stories. Paul's like, about the preaching? and Yeah, yeah, about that. And also about how you fell up the stairs and tried to play it off. Bro, you didn't tell me that, right? So Paul's like, yo, they, they told you that? And he's just laughing. And he's like, man, they care about you in the same way that you care about them. Pastor, they care about you like you care about them. They're thoughtful. They miss you. All of us have people in our lives who we take for granted, who care about us, who, who sometimes we, we just don't reciprocate. And I just want to ask you, who is the person that the Spirit is putting in mind who has went above and beyond to, to give you love and to, to show you that they value you as an image bearer? Maybe this week you can slow down and reciprocate that love. And as some of us are younger folk, we have some seasoned saints around us where every time we see them, we kind of just throw up on them because we think they're at a stage of life where they got it all together and they exist to answer our questions and to make us feel better. I want to encourage you to slow down and ask them how they're doing. Now, here's the thing. You can't do that for everybody. It's impossible for us to always reciprocate everything. And the gospel doesn't call you to. Sometimes some of us, what you need to learn to do is just to receive. Because love makes no tallies or no more. It doesn't take, uh, keep score. And so don't hear me say every time somebody does something nice for you, you got to repay it. That's not grace. That's not love. But some of us, I think the invitation that God has given us in gospel community is to slow down and to appreciate the people that God has put around us and to be more intentional, to love others. And here's what that takes. That takes faith. It takes faith to not obsess over our own lives. It takes faith for us not to obsess over how our own kids are doing. It takes faith for us to look up from our navel and out to love others. And God is calling us to strengthen our faith to believe that he loves us, he's going to take care of us enough to step in by faith to care for others. And here's what I learned in my own life. Serving others, caring for others, loving others increases my joy and my faith in God. And when you're only caring about yourself, 
obsessing over yourself, your world becomes small and tight and worry-filled and anxious-filled. But when you look up and find the strength to look out, you serving others can actually help to build your faith. I want you to go uh, this week and to uh, check out the website practicingtheway.org. It's uh, ran by John Mark uh, Comer. Some of you guys may be familiar with him. When talking about Sabbath, we talk about him a lot. His book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. On that website, there's a fantastic resource I hope to uh, do with my wife and lead our family through. And it's something that's called A Rule of Life. And we think rule, don't think of like rules. Think of a trellis. All right. Think of a, something that is there to bring structure to something that is living so that it can flourish. And basically what it is, you can find a PDF there, which will help you to identify values, personal values and family values, and to organize your life so that you are living with more intentionality. Because for some of us, we want to love other people well, but we're frustrating the people who love us most and who are in our own household because we're trying to love everybody well the same way. And we don't have a plan on how we're going to love. And we feel overwhelmed. And for some of us, we're kind of just stuck and we don't love other people well because we're so overwhelmed because we feel like we have to do something for everybody. And this is going to help you to identify in this season who the Lord has put in your path to invest out of you resting in Christ, receiving from Christ, being loved from Christ so that you can do it in a healthy way. Amen. Somebody say practicing the way dot org. And if it is not there anymore, blame Pastor Brandon. Amen. (laughs) It's there. I checked last night. Because we want to be a church that's loving each other well, out of overflow, out of the gospel, out of love, and not out of have to or should have, and not in a way that exhausts us. Jesus did that. Think about Jesus and how he models that for us. Man, Jesus was so amazing, so dope. Look, I, I don't know if he had a rule of life per se written down, but he had it in his heart. And you can Luke 2, 52 talks about how he grew in every way uh, in stature and relationship with God and relation with others. Uh, there was an, it seems an intentionality about his life. Even when you read the Gospels, there is a multitude around him always, but he didn't invest in the same way with everybody. There was the 500, there was the 90, 72, there was the, uh, the 12, and then there was the three. He had three disciples that it seems like he let in a little more intimately. And he, didn't, he, had, he had boundaries. He didn't go chasing after everybody. The Gospel of John says he didn't give himself away to everybody. And he took naps in the middle of the day. Amen. He, yeah. He was fun to be around with parties so much that lost people wanted to be around him. He was a life-giving presence. And he didn't go chasing after everybody because he wanted to be like this rich young ruler who looks cool, I imagine, who had all these things and looked to have it all together. Say, yo, I want to be a part of your crew. And Jesus is like, hey, if you want to follow me, you've got to sell everything that you have and follow me. And the guy was like, I can't do that. Jesus was like, mm, I'm sorry. Set a boundary. 
Gospel affections should lead us to gospel actions, which oftentimes is sacrificial. Listen to me. I understand self-care people. You need some balance. Amen. I would, but I got to do self-care. I would serve, but I got to do self-care. That's good. But that self-care, if it's true, gospel self-care should lead you to love people as yourself and to love others how Jesus loved others. And so having a rule of life and a vision of health in pursuing others can help you to not become self-centered. And it could also help you to not become a people pleaser where you're trying to serve everybody to the point of your own health's demise. I got to go. All right. Verse 11. (laughs) Gospel affection should lead to gospel action. Gospel action should lead to gospel appeals. I'm just going to close really quickly. Verse 11. Now, may our God and Father. Verse 11. Mm, So much we skipped over. 11. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. Now notice Paul here is going to move into a prayer. In the book of Thessalonica, there's uh, times where he is uh, preaching, ministering, and then when he wants to kind of change the subject, he just writes a prayer out for them. And so this prayer is going to have three aspects. One is going to look back and he's pretty much going to pray what he just prayed. I want to see you face to face. You see that verse 12, verse 11, may the Lord direct our way to you. Verse 12, Second prayer, and may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone. I love what the message Bible says. May the Lord cause uh, his love uh, to splash over everyone, right? So his second prayer is that they will love each other. In verse 9 through 12, Pastor Jesse in a few weeks are going to talk about that. He's going to dig more into what it looks like to have brotherly love towards each other. And then in verse 13, he's going to say, may he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen. So he's going to close this section with pointing them towards pursuing holiness in light of the return of Jesus. And that's what hope is. Hope is, uh, is, is confidence that Christ is going to return and make all things right. And so he here is praying that they will be blameless in holiness. Next week, Pastor Josh has a wonderful sermon prepared for us talking about what holiness is, because many of us, we have the wrong things that come to mind when we think about it. So he prays a very specific prayer. And here's my encouragement to you. As the Lord puts a person in your heart this week and in the upcoming weeks, and stirs up gospel affections towards you, and you take small steps, whatever he calls you, to gospel actions, don't let it stop there. Pray for them. And pray for them. Be the type of person that prays for people in an intentional way. Be the type of person when someone tells you if the moment is right, who, where you actually pause in the moment and say a short prayer for them so that they could actually experience you, you praying for them in a specific way. Growing up, there was a song uh, that we used to sing in my church, grew up in a black church. I'm confident that like 80% of y'all have never heard the song, all right? Because I said it earlier, and there was only a few people who heard it, and they all had something in common. I'm not going to tell you what, amen? (laughs) And the song went, 
Somebody prayed for me. They had me on their mind. They took the time and prayed for me. Somebody prayed for me. They had me on their mind. They took the time and prayed for me. Uh huh. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed. I'm so glad they prayed for me. And then they go here. My mama prayed for me. Everybody, hey, had me on her mind. She took the time and prayed for me. I'm so glad that she prayed. I'm so glad she prayed. I'm so glad she prayed for me. And it keeps going. Take out mama, put in the next person, right? Now, how many of y'all knew that song? Social experiment. (laughs) May we be the persons who praise, (laughs) don't feel judged (laughs) for you. Amen? May we be the person who prays for other people. May we be the person who moves from gospel affections to gospel actions to gospel prayer. This week, Pastor Dave sent out a text message about a pastor who was coming to the Harbor Network retreat which uh, a team of us is going to uh, help pastors experience renewal this next week from across the country. And this pastor had a wife who had an aneurysm uh, this week and was being uh, taken to emergency surgery the, the next morning. And he sent out a request to pray. And by God's grace, as she was asleep, and, uh, and, and put induced to sleep uh, to prepare for the surgery. The doctors took a picture just to see uh, one final time where the aneurysm is. And while she was asleep, God was working. Because God healed her from that aneurysm. And he texts saying, a miracle has occurred. Doctors no longer see the brain aneurysm. My wife has been healed. Would you pray for her continual healing? Prayer works. Prayer is not inaction, it's action. And sometimes when you can't get to somebody, you can do something. And that something is quieting your heart, setting aside five minutes, getting on your face and say, Lord, help my brother and sister in Christ. Because the reason you are here is because somebody prayed for you. Nothing happens but by prayer. To my mothers who may feel like you're at the end of your journey with that child, no matter if they're three or 30, God is not wasting your tears or wasting your prayers. Persevere. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.